Hey there, Zach here. Today's episode is a little unusual. Actually, everything we're about to do is a little unusual, for us anyway. For the past 11 months, we've had kind of a system going. The five of us have been getting together almost every week to enthusiastically geek out about whatever the topic of the day was, and there have been a lot of topics. You know, there are times where I feel so comfortable with a topic that I can just go at it cold, and other times I have to research about it for days and days just to feel like I can keep my head above water. And all of us, all five of us, we all have our own interests and experiences, and that's what makes this dynamic so much fun. Actually, you know, when we first decided to do this podcast over a year ago now, we brainstormed a list of potential topics, and we're still not even halfway through that first list. <sighs> and I think... Any one of those topics, one of us at least, could get on the microphone and talk for an hour because we care so deeply about so many things and we're just so excited about the universe. But when we decided that the next miniseries that we do should be about the religious and scientific relationship to race and racism, well, we all knew it was time to pump the brakes a little. As white academic types, we want to be just so careful not to stride into the conversation with that kind of patronizing intellectualization that well-meaning but misguided allies so often do. I, I know myself. I, I think I know myself pretty well. My therapist might disagree with me, but that's a different topic for another day. I know how easy this would be for me to, to put together a history lesson, a seminar, a sermon about the history of all the ways that white Christians and Western scientists have dehumanized and exploited people of color. Oh, I know myself, I would just wax poetic about all the ways that we've tarnished the image of God and each other and how we must band together in these days in loving unity for a brighter tomorrow. And you would be swept up in this dramatic rise and fall of my sermon because let's be honest, it's just, it's just Baptist preachers all the way up my family tree. And at this point, we're all pretty good at it. And then afterwards, we'd say a word of prayer and we'd have coffee and snacks and you'd shake my hand and tell me what an inspirational young man I am. And we'd all go home with our hearts propped up by some artificial moral superiority while not actually having to do anything to dismantle the systems that we shake our pale little fists at. And I can see myself. Even with the best intentions, slipping into that self-congratulatory allyship. And that's why I am so grateful for my other po podcast hosts who likewise feel that we need to speak to this moment, but we don't really want to. So we're leaning into that discomfort and we're using our unique platform to shine a light into some of the darkest places of our beloved institutions. We need to address the ways that scripture has been twisted to support racist systems and how we must learn to listen to the voices of liberation from within our traditions. We need to talk about how technology and industry have disproportionately polluted communities of color and how we are trying to fight back against that. Religion and science were the tools that built many of these racist systems and they can be the tools that dismantle them as well but we have to look at them first. And so we hope to explore this with you openly, honestly, and above all else, humbly. And so if you have not already joined the Down the Wormhole Conversations Facebook group, now would be a really good time to do it. We could use your help. 
I mean, we, all of us, we have a lot to say, but we know that we also have way more to learn, which speaking of, before we get started in this new mini series, we wanted to amplify some of the voices that are doing this work already. In particular, I want to introduce you to one of my favorite podcasts, Color Correction. This is an outgrowth of the Black Lives Matter mission team at Circle of Hope in Philadelphia and is a podcast specifically about the sometimes messy relationship between race and religion. The hosts are brilliant and their passion for justice is almost palpable. But what I love most about their podcast is also what I love most about this podcast. And it's that just as we try to model difficult conversations around science and religion, they too model these very difficult but oh so important conversations about race. Bethany's black, Andrew is Asian, Chris is white, and they all bring a different lived experience to the table where there are no dumb questions, there's plenty of grace for mistakes, and lots of room for rage. So this episode, which you are about to hear, is from August of 2019 and is about seeing yourself represented in TV and movies as a kid and what kind of an impact the image of cartoon white Jesus made on their lives. After this episode is done, make sure to subscribe to Color Correction wherever it is that you find your podcasts. And I'll see you next Wednesday. Hello. Hey, Bethany. Oh, I didn't expect this to be you. Sorry, I just walked into my cousin's house. Give me two seconds. Okay. Is this your computer? Yes. Okay, I thought you were one of my clients. That's why I tried to answer. Is that your professional. professional phone voice? Try to be. Yeah, nice. that's my Bethany voice. Cool. Um, I'm gonna stand outside for two seconds, stars. Sorry. All right. Does this sound good? Yeah. All right. So you want to talk about the thing that you were talking about? Yep. Um, so we started, usually every episode that we record, um, I bring a bottle of wine and I like my wine like I like my Kool-Aid. I want it sweet and delicious. Uh -huh. um, and the guys always make fun of me for bringing a super sweet wine. Um, but this month, uh, I decided to let alcohol go for this month. Um, I began to question my relationship to alcohol, especially when I'm in more um, emotional states. Um, I think that it's fine, you know, to have a glass of wine here and there, or to have a cocktail here and there. But I started to recognize that I was doing it too much or even every night. And that's kind of scary. So for that reason, I'm doing a bit of a dry August experiment. And if you all have any questions about your relationship to alcohol as well, um, you can contact the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's hotline. Um, it's 1-800-662-HELP, and that's 4357. I think we got it. And to make okay. things clear, Chris and I were making fun of you because of the type of wine, not because you were bringing wine. So we weren't yes. being jerks. We were being snobs. Yes, you guys are not jerks. You are, in fact, snobs. All right. Just wanted to clear <laughs> that up. All right, cool. I yeah. think we got it. Great. Right, Thanks, Andrew. See you, Bethany. Bye. The spirit of incarceration dwells here. 
Welcome to the fourth episode of Color Correction, a podcast about race and religion. My name is Andrew, he, him, pronouns, I'm Asian. I'm Chris, he, him, I'm white. And my name's Bethany, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a black woman. So we're recording literally a week after the last episode, uh, so really there's been no chance for anyone to respond to it. <laughs> we uh, haven't published it yet. We haven't published it yet. We're still knee-deep in editing it. Anything you guys want to throw out there before we jump into our topic for this week? Well, Chris is going to have a conversation with his family members. I am. And we're going to check back in with him after he does that because we kind of deal with that a little bit in the last episode mm-hmm. that hasn't come out yet. Um, so this will make sense by the time you guys hear it. Let's start the episode. Yeah, Yeah. let's do it. So what we want to talk about this week is a mix of different things around representation, stereotypes, racial representation in the media that we watch Mm -hmm. or that we consume, and also the way we see Jesus. Uh, The reason that I was thinking about this, I think it's kind of a conversation that comes up again and again in the Asian American community, Mm -hmm. because right now the Asian American community is in the middle of a big... uh, there have been a lot of movies and TV shows that have provided roles for Asian American actors. And there's always an ongoing conversation about the way that people of different races and ethnicities are represented on screen. Because for a lot of people, that's their main exposure to that kind of diversity. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, a lot of people's stereotypes get reinforced by the things that they watch. And I, I think from the, from the standpoint of a minority, there are so few of us on screen, at least mm-hmm. from an Asian perspective, that when one of us is on the screen, there is a tendency to, to be afraid of it because it represents all of us because yeah. there are so mm-hmm. few other representations. Like every Asian went to see Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> which is a romantic comedy. You know, I'm not, I'm not normally into romantic comedies, but because that was the one movie, mm-hmm. I had to see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So growing up, I had very few... Faces that look like me mm-hmm. on TV and in the movies. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was just the Godzilla movies that I rented from Hollywood Video. <laughs> Shout out to Hollywood Video, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And Blockbuster. Uh-huh. Long yeah. live both of them. They right. will not be upcoming sponsors of ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically it was just like Kung Fu movies and Godzilla movies that I rented from the video store. Yeah. Um, oh. I was so starved for people that kind of look like me that I pretty much latched onto any character that had like a similar hair color. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So who would that be? Like Aladdin in Aladdin. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Or like a Batman in the Batman cartoon. That was mm-hmm. like that was enough. It was a cartoon. Cartoons are racially ambiguous. That could kind of look like me, yeah. and I would just kind of I got really good at forcing myself into stories. Whoa. That is so interesting. Um. So that's my experience. What do you guys? Any, well, Chris is, sees himself all the time. Well, yeah, that, just it. I'm like, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I want to go next. <laughs> uh-huh. I th- I keep thinking of you saying a couple of weeks ago that if somebody did a movie about us, Chris would be the star. <laughs> like the movie would center around uh-huh. Chris. <laughs> yeah. I feel right. like I requote your jokes all the time, so I'm gonna get the credit for it. But Andrew said mind. that. Um, but for me, I feel like the 90s were really popping for black people. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of black representation mm-hmm. on um, television. And it, it really did shift black reality. So when A Different World came out, um, if you're not familiar with A Different World, it is a television show that was a spinoff from The Cosby Show mm-hmm. in which the second daughter, Denise, goes to a historically black college and university. The admission of black kids in colleges in the early 90s went up. 
once that show came out, more black people were going to HBCUs. So, like, the 90s was such a good time. We had Family Matters. We had uh, Living Single, uh, Martin, which is such a classic. Oh, wow. So, like, television was not only, like, black AF, but it was also, like, really insistent upon black education too like mm, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. empowering for black people yeah so I, I i as a black girl i never thought about anybody else um so it's interesting that you d- had to force yourself in yeah because like i was in do you think you related more to some shows than others or some- yeah i like ashamedly have some classism issues Mm -hmm. that I didn't have the language to identify or the like self-awareness to identify when I was a kid yeah so I didn't relate to shows that I deemed and I don't use this language anymore but ghetto so like Moesha was a little too ghetto for us which when I watch it now it's not ghetto at all I think it was just her name Mm -hmm. so I definitely try to recognize that now that I'm an adult and I have language to identify Mm -hmm. it but I wholeheartedly related to Family Matters and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's interesting. Yeah. Family Matters. Of all the shows you just mentioned. (laughs) Also, my dad is kind of like uh, Carl. Is he really? And Uncle Phil. Okay. My dad kind of looks like Uncle Phil a little bit, um, but he kind of behaves like Carl. So so who are you in the show? (laughs) Laura. Duh. Duh. Okay, I just... To clear that up, not the disappearing dog. Not, not Judy. Long live Judy, too. Oh, man, Judy. They just disappeared her. They did. So for me, there was so little representation of Asian Americans that I literally had to like force myself into what I was watching. Right. For Bethany, there was a, there was a sort of a wider variety of uh, black representation on TV. So you were able to draw distinctions based on class, where I'm just straight up going with hair color. <laughs> you know? um, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Aziz Ansari at some point has a joke about how like seeing your face on a movie poster is a big deal for minorities because it's how white people feel all the time. <laughs> so... Is that how white people feel all the time? I mean, yeah. excited to see I, themselves every time? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not <laughs> no, you're having not. this. you totally can't be. I mean, I'm not having this conflict about not not being seen. In fact, the message I feel like I got from, from all the entertainment was I could be anything, right? I was thinking on the drive over here about all the um, sitcoms and entertainment that, like, centered around the high school experience, right? And, like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. High school High school movies and shows are invariably about cliques. And I could see myself in any one of those cliques. Like your your classic like nerds, jocks, popular people. They're just cliques of white people mm-hmm. for the most part. In so many ways, there's just this message that I can show up however I am. And that's fine. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Mm. You'll find a niche yeah. anywhere. Yeah. There's, there's one out there for me, no matter what. Yeah. You're seeing yourself in literally every single role. Mm -hmm. I think that just comes from, like, white people are, like, the American standard. Mm -hmm. Like, when you think of Americans, you always think of white people. So if it's just American television, it's about white people. You know that. Like, there's always going to be the distinction that it's a black show Mm -hmm. or an Asian show if it's anything else. But, like, it's just a TV show because white people are considered the norm in America. Yeah. Books, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, like, the things on the reading list all through school. I was always reading about the white experience mm. through history. Mm-hmm. Any book I was reading... Unless it was February. 
unless it was February, and then it was Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, which was was an amazing book, and I'm not, I'm, I'm happy I read that, but no, it was just, as a, as a child, especially, I'm not thinking about the, I'm not thinking about that, but what I am receiving Mm -hmm. is that I'm, I'm in, I'm in every historical epoch mm-hmm. and I'm I'm in every context. Yeah. That's a great point. The idea that when you're a kid, you're receiving that but you're not processing it. Just mm-hmm. like right. Bethany, like now you look back and you see some classes stuff. Now I look back at my childhood and I'm like I was receiving some questionable race messages, Boy, yeah, you know. No kidding. Um that you don't belong. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So these messages filter in through our culture and get reinforced as the stories are told over and over. Right. Um, somebody wanted to hear us talk about white saviorism, specifically in fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Chris, you went out and did some research on what did you look like? What is white saviorism? Um, so whiteness, like one of the aspects of, of whiteness is associated with superiority mm-hmm. and morality. There's a moral center to the I- idea of whiteness. So like when other cultures are, are out of line with that, you bring them into whiteness. But one of the one of the examples was Avatar. There were actually two examples. There was actually a Disney movie from the early two thousands, Atlantis, um, where this like geeky white guy learns about Atlantis and like ends up I bringing mean, the like yeah, language back but, to. But those aren't the only two examples. No, 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 that no, no, trope no. of white person enters who enters into a tribal society and becomes the best. Yes, is in, is like so many movies. I mean, yeah, and Pocahontas. I was Pocahontas. Just think, I was just thinking right. about like. But to say more about like sure. white saviorism, yeah. it's this idea that white people are the power, right? And they're the most, they're the all knowing lead figures. And in order to make a movie just or good, let's plug them in there. And it's mm-hmm. where everybody is trying to get to. I think. Right. Is, I think That's it's one of the big, big hidden ideas. Yeah, I remember. Um, I'm gonna look up the year the last Samurai came out. Probably 2003. I think I was in eighth grade. Okay, yeah, right on. So in 2003, the last Samurai comes out. Um, I'm I'm staring at the Google Images thing right now, and it's the poster with Tom Cruise's face that says "The Last Samurai." And I think the implication is pretty clear that Tom Cruise there is the last samurai. And it again, it's it's one of these movies in that genre that you're talking about, Chris, yeah. which is a white guy goes to weird culture and becomes the best dude at the culture right. and gentrifies it. Right. Yeah. Gentrifies it out of existence. Gentrifies the sketchy neighborhood, <laughs> the sketchy tribe. Yeah. And I remember this movie because um, I had never seen a Hollywood movie about samurais, and that was really cool. So I like brought my grandpa to see it. Um, so and we watched this movie because this was the best. Like that's as good as it gets. Right. Like there's no nowhere else where we're gonna see Ken Watanabe in, except in a movie with Tom Cruise. You know, we'll take what we can get. Right. Another thing about that white savior trope is no matter who else is in the movie and what else it's about, it ends up being about the white person who saves everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking up the white man's burden. Is this? It's a poem by Rudyard. How do you say that man's name? Rudyard. Rudyard. Um, Kipling. I'm looking at the first few stanzas. Can I read it real quick? Uh Uh-huh. So take up the white man's burden. Send forth the best ye breed. Go send your sons to exile to serve your captives' needs. To wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild. Your new caught sullen peoples, half devil and half child. Mm. Yeah. That's that's exactly all of these movies that like these people really don't know what we need, what they need, 
and I am the master of their faith. Yeah, so The White Man's Burden was a poem that was written 100 years ago. 1899. Okay, right. And it's amazing in how perfectly it encapsulates the myth of white supremacy mm-hmm. that was necessary for colonialism to exist. Mm-hmm. All the people have all this stuff. What is the myth that we're going to tell ourselves to make ourselves feel like it's just and right for mm-hmm. us to go and dominate them? Well, the myth is the white man's burden. Right. Yeah. And it definitely is portrayed in these movies. Mm-hmm. It's acted out in these movies. Um, Chris gave us a nice list of <laughs> topics of white savior or like categories yeah. of white savior movies. Um, the Green Book, which came out last year and won Best Picture for 2018, yes. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at your list here, Chris. Uh, I haven't seen any of these movies. Yeah. Have you heard of them? <laughs> I've heard of them. Okay, yes. I'm just like, no, I'm not, just like, <laughs> I, 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 I don't them. know if like, I don't know if you're consciously avoiding them, no, or you I just, you just haven't gotten around the to them. To see them. Yeah. Ever, ever heard of? Uh... But I, but I mean, I see some of these movies like Green Book. I was like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, I wanted like, to see it so bad, and then I read reviews about it. So Green Book is a movie about a um, famous black piano player um, and his white driver. So the white driver's son took this story and like took all types of creative license on this story. It really made the, the story center around the white driver and also completely changed the black guy's character to this super classist guy that wouldn't talk to his family and didn't even know how to eat fried I do this every episode. Fried chicken. Yes. She, she was going to say fried chicken. I get so excited and upset about something. Uh-huh. I skip words. Last, I was listening to last week's <laughs> episode when I was like, and they're black. And I was like, that was so ridiculous. But anyways, the, the white guy teaches the black guy how to eat fried chicken, uh-huh. which is so ridiculous. Yeah. What would be worse, watermelon? Or red Kool-Aid? I, I, I don't want to think about what would be worse. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. The, the, I'm only glad you said those two things. I'm sorry. I made that. you guys uncomfortable. Sorry. Um, so obviously we could probably go so into ridiculous. any one, number of these movies and pick apart the plot. I do want to say that I, I'm worried that some people will listen to what we're saying and think that what we're doing here is establishing a, a list of Movies that good people will watch and movies that only bad people watch. Oh, stop it. I've watched The Help every time it's on television. Yeah. What we're talking about is being aware of the tropes and the ideas that are in them so that we're aware of the things that influence us. What we're not talking about is is a purity list of kosher and non-kosher. Yeah, absolutely. By by myself, I probably would have. I'm glad you guys are here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a really good point because we have such a cancel culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're definitely not canceling these movies. I probably will watch Green Book. You two have both seen Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we haven't talked about The Help yet, and um, the, but I definitely watched it. By and large, there's TV. so much in Hidden Figures worth watching. It would be easy for us to go into any one of these movies and pick out the problematic elements. We could probably just do that for the whole 45 minutes, and it would be fun. Yeah. To what extent do you think you guys internalized this message, the message of white supremacy, basically? That's such a, like... <laughs> Boy. I'm just like, do you want me to cry, Andrew? <laughs> is, that, is that what we're trying to do here? I mean, it shows up in the way that I viewed those television shows mm. as like ghetto back then. Mm. Right. Like mm-hmm. those weren't necessarily get Moesha definitely wasn't. And, and what 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 is ghetto? Right. What is like, that? why did I feel like that was a necessary distinction? Like, I think I have absorbed those messages and I kind of 
dance around it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I do a ton of code switching all the time because I know that I uncomfortably accept that whiteness is kind of the standard, right? And, mm. and that looks like speaking a certain way, dressing a certain way. Um, and behaving a certain way. So when there is a majority of white people around, I play that game, I speak that language. Mm -hmm. But when I'm around people that look like me, other, especially black women, I feel like my guard can be let down. So I always feel like I have to be way stronger and less sensitive than I am. I cry a lot. I cried before we started recording. Mm -hmm. I'm like very sensitive. And, like, I always feel like I have to portray this super strong, super sassy black woman. And I am pretty spicy, but this idea that I can never be broken, I won't cry, I can mm. take anything. I think that, especially in my interactions with white people um, that I'm in spaces with a lot, I think they think that I can take a lot more than I can. And I'm super sensitive. I cry a ton. Mm. So... In the same way that we're talking about these movies and how they have enforced this message, I kind of perform that message in certain spe certain spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like getting to the heart of that question is, is feels just impossible in this climate. Sure. It's when I'm with people who aren't having my experience that I'm confronted with just mm. all the different ways I move through the world with the expectations that I first received through the things I read, through the things I watched. And I, and I only know the contrast to that by having friends outside that um, perspective. For me, I mean, specifically focusing on the question of how the movies and TV shows that we watched kind of reinforced the subtle message of white centrality. What, the thing that comes to mind for me was in my senior writing seminar at Temple, my teacher was uh, Don Lee, who's a Korean-American author, he asked me about my short stories. He was like, why are your main characters all white? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, you might want to think about that. And he was right. <laughs> he was so right. I yeah. did have to think about that. And it was for a really simple reason. is because I had, I had not thought about anything else. I had not thought about any other way of presenting fiction other yeah. than like just have normal people. And for me... White normal supremacy, is normal is white. Yeah. So I wrote stories about white people because that was all I had seen. That's so tough when somebody, like, puts a mirror to your face like that. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. Can you say any more about that? Do you have a, an answer now? For why my stories were all about white people? Yeah. Because of white supremacy. Yeah. I mean, it's because... But, but like, personalize it. Oh. I, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, yes, white supremacy. That could be the answer to everything. Yeah. Uh, white supremacy for 500, Alex. Um, one of the things that I learned is that creatively what you output is what you input. And for me, all the media that I was taking in had whiteness as its central thing. Mm -hmm. So it was hard for me to break out of that because I didn't see anything else. There was one more topic that I wanted to touch upon, which is definitely adjacent, if not completely overlapping with what we're talking about, mm -hmm. which is how we see Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's another thing that I'm like, do you want me to cry, Andrew? <laughs> um, say, uh, t I mean, tell me what you're feeling. I feel it's another moment in which I feel like embarrassed uh -huh. at like the Jesus that I envision. I don't know if you, you both grew up in church. Do you guys remember the Saturday morning cartoons that came on TBN? Did your parents watch TBN? I, Trinity Bo Broadcasting yeah, I Network? I remember those. Do you remember Jesus? Uh-huh. 
I picture a cartoon white Jesus every okay. time I picture Jesus. He's, is he the one? He has brown hair in that? He has that okay. brown hair. Yeah. He doesn't have blue eyes, but he does have brown hair. Uh-huh. And every time I picture Jesus, I either picture the cartoon white Jesus or I picture the um, Jim Cavanaugh. Caviezel. Caviezel, oh, yeah. From the Passion of the Christ. From the mm-hmm. Passion of the okay. Christ. But my Jesus initially is always white. And yeah. I have to construct <clears throat> a brown Jesus once I realize that I immediately picture white Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I start off with a white Jesus and then like work my way back. Yeah, totally. And I think it's obvious that Jesus wasn't white. Both yeah. because of where he was from in the world and also because the the concept of race as right, we understand it. The construct it, is later than Jesus. Right, the construct is, is, is anachronistic to apply it to Jesus in that way. What we're talking about is how... Um, the white savior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what we're talking <laughs> about is the, the white savior that. and the way that these images influence our spiritual lives and the way that we worship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, how about you, Chris? Any ways that you've tried to rewire your brain? Um, yeah, I mean, it is a conscious undoing of the construct like that, that we're all pulling from because right. any picture we see is almost always white. Without going historical, because this is a personal question, it's not something I don't do without consciously reflecting on the Jesus I've constructed in my head, mm-hmm. which comes out of all the imagery I see. When I think of a Jesus that more reflects the physiology of people from the region, I'm coming up with something from scratch. Yeah. It's it's harder to do. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that representation yeah. in any version of Jesus mm-hmm. that's that's depicted, drawn, painted, sculpted. I have to come up with it. There's a really interesting episode of Good Times, um, and it's called the Black Jesus episode, in which um, (laughs) Michael puts up a picture of Black Jesus in the living room, and the family is kind of, like, torn between whether Black Jesus should go up or not. Uh, The mom, Florida, is really upset. She's, like, arguing that Jesus wasn't Black and wants the picture taken down. (laughs) Uh That Just to shout that episode out, I think you should check it out. But the clapback is that he wasn't white either. Right. He was brown. <laughs> so it's re- like you said, it's really hard to create a Jesus that we've never seen because yeah. I really, I think there's one picture um, that was created a few years ago, like a 3D picture or something of what okay. Jesus may have looked like. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like National Geographic did like, like, a, his, like a reconstruction. No, it wasn't like a weird try to turn thing. It was like, what would a typical first century Judean look like? And I never come up with that picture. Yeah. I would love uh-huh. for that to be my standard go-to picture Wouldn't in my I, head now. Yeah. Probably is like reasonable. Yeah. And he's brown. I mean, yeah, he, he looks like a Palestinian person. Yeah. 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 I never think about that guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially since he has short hair. I don't know why right, I need right. Jesus to have long hair. Right. Windswept Jesus, though. <laughs> Beyonce Jesus with the wind <laughs> blowing hair. I guess even a step before that, probably should have led with this, but do you think it's necessary to try to rewrite how we see Jesus? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, yeah, for all the reasons we're talking about, right? Like, this trope that we're working with of, like, white saviors, it's definitely rooted in a version of Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, where whiteness is the goal and and whiteness comes comes with like all this list of requirements and like a moral code Mm -hmm. that is centered around a jesus that is depicted as white 
So it's not just about it's not just about what what color was Jesus, but it's actually all the things that like get tacked onto him right. in that process. Totally, yeah. Not just his physical appearance, yeah. but his but what is his social experience? What is his life his experience? Ability to relate to us and our experience. Exactly. And what yeah. is his attitude toward people that don't look like him and a him that like we've constructed anyway? Yeah, yeah. Right. So addressing that question of rewiring. Uh, maybe it's because when I was growing up, my parents were always kind of iffy about images of Jesus. I don't know. Oh, like bordering on like yeah. idolatry perhaps? Right. So oh, interesting. I, I don't really envision Jesus with that level of detail, at mm. least not consciously. That's interesting. Last Christmas, I was having an experience during Advent where I was really annoyed mm-hmm. at the Christmas story and at Christmas cards and at the imagery of the stable. And it took me a while to figure out why I was feeling that way. But I think I figured it out, and this is why. So the idea of Jesus being born in a stable is not historical. Even the idea of Jesus being born in a cave that's near the the town of Bethlehem might not be historical, even though that's where the Church of the Nativity is now. In the Gospel of Luke, it talks about Jesus being where the animals are kept, and then he's put in a feeding trough. Now, if you look at a first century home in Judea, what you would do at night is that all the family would sleep on the second floor and all, you'd bring all the animals into your house for the first floor and it would keep the house warm and the animals safe. So Jesus was likely on that first floor of a house where all the animals were. And since Joseph had relatives there, they were probably staying with some uncles and aunties. Where's the whole in thing come into play? Old translations say in. But what the Greek actually says is is the upper room, or like the oh. or the guest room, like where the where people are. But when you look at the words like stable and inn, and look at those from our modern white lens, from the lens of our our Western culture, of a stable is something that's outside of the house, and an inn is like a commercial establishment. Mm-hmm. You lose all that rich first century context, which is the imagery of Jesus being born on the first floor of a house of a family member surrounded probably by tons of other people because they're not the only people in Bethlehem that couldn't sleep in the normal place. Right, and the reason is like the census that's gone, that's on. Yeah, so he's like in a crowded room with other fam- friends and family members, some animals on the first floor of this house. Oh. And is seeing the nativity through that lens kind of rewired it for me because I thought of myself every Christmas, going to my grandparents' house in Queens. And all of my cousins and my my uncles and aunties were there. And there's no room in the guest room. So we're just sleeping on the living room floor, just piled oh, together. It's, it's a lot warmer. Yeah. Like, the imagery is, like... It's a lot more familiar. Yeah. yeah. Do all, like... Do white people do that, too, with their cousins? Y'all just sleep on grandma's living room floor? Not in, there just weren't enough cousins for that to be uh, an issue. Do that too. Uh-huh. I recently did that like five years ago with my cousin. Okay, yeah, but I mean that, that feels different. It does feel different, yeah. and the the idea of telling that story that way. Now, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the stable and the imagery and whatever the innkeeper, whatever way you want to tell that story at your elementary school Christmas play. But seeing Jesus in that way as like. He went to Queens. I mean, he went to Bethlehem, and he sleeps in his on grandma's living room floor. That Jesus feels 
intimate like he knows to me. you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I would feel I feel more known by Jesus even in hearing you say that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So f- that's kind of my way of de-whitifying Jesus. Yeah. Um, thinking about stuff like that, basically. Yeah. So for our last segment, we like to talk about stuff that we're into this week. Um, Bethany, uh, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So I, the thing that I'm into this week is this podcast. It is called Denzel Washington is the um, greatest actor of all time, period. And it's hosted by Kamal Bell. Um, and another guy, his name is Kevin something. I can't come up with it quick enough. Um, but they call themselves Denzelets. which is a like great descriptor and i identify as a denzelet as well um so Uh i'm really into that podcast and because of it i am going to list my top five denzel washington movies um and andrew and chris are going to give me their top three yeah um so i'm starting at five and then going down to number one um mo better blues uh training day Mm -hmm. at number four uh malcolm x at number three he got game at number two which i know most people would put malcolm x at first or number two at least Mm -hmm. um but i really really like the story of he got game um and my number one is fences i think that was denzel washington's finest acting Mm, in fences chris yeah i i want to say training day as my number one but I've never actually seen it. I just, I just know that it's probably. So thanks best. for tuning in to our fourth episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go watch Training Day now. Yeah. yeah, right. Like that needs to happen. So at three, I said Philadelphia. Okay. Um, two, Hurricane. Okay. Number one, Malcolm X. My criteria is Denzel Washington movies that were important to me at that time in my life. Mm, okay. I think number three is Glory. Okay. Because even though it is a white savior movie, uh, but I really enjoyed it as a kid. And I was really into the Civil War, and this was like a different perspective on the Civil War. And mm-hmm. I really liked that movie when I was like growing up. Uh, number two is Malcolm X for obvious reasons. And my number one, <laughs> my number one is, is that sci-fi post-apocalyptic movie. <gasps> The Book of Eli, yeah. where he plays a where he plays a blind swordsman carrying a, the only existent copy of the Bible through the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that. One I yet. love that movie. It is not a great movie, uh, but it is great in my heart. <laughs> great criteria. Yeah. Great in your heart. Uh-huh. Thank That's you. All that matters. Um, Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Happy to play along. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. So, Send us your top five. <laughs> Anything you're into this week, Chris? A friend of mine just started a podcast, um, which is centered around the, which is centered around religion and science, Um, and it's actually him and a host of people in the religious world, rabbis, um, people who study religion, and people who study science, and it's called Into the Wormhole, and they just did their first episode, so it's something I'm getting into. I I hope to hear more, and, and I hope I love it. Cool. And this week, I am into um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America. Ta-Nehisi Coates is writing Captain America right now, and I'm finally catching up on it, uh, and is I'm really Captain enjoying America it. Is Captain America black? No. Oh, That's what's weird about it. Okay. Um, he's, it's more about the idea of America and what to do once you've lost faith in it. Oh. Oh, interesting. Um, so that's our episode. Thanks for tuning in. You can get in touch with us at circlemobilizing at gmail.com. Special thanks to Joe Mahoney, our technical director, and also to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager, and to Jared Selby for the use of our theme song. Stay black, Little Mermaid.
idea of superman who's already like an immigrant who kind of lives in two worlds as an alien and a human and making him like he's like a black kid that grows up in kansas like maybe he's he lives the he lives the experience of so many like cross-racial adoptees i mean they would make him adopted by white people well even if he was adopted by white people what if he's adopted by like Good white people. (laughs) 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 All right, all right. All right, let's. This is going to be a song.